Welcome to the Rockcast. So glad you could join me and now get ready for some fun and mayhem. Wow! You know, about every day I get on Facebook and they've got these things called memories. And they show you what you've posted over the years. And a couple of weeks ago, there was one that said two years ago I had moved to Colorado. And there was a picture of me standing by a U-Haul truck and uh, there were stacks of guitars and basses and cabinets and amps. And it looked kind of like I was moving a music store. And when I saw that, the first thing I thought of was, wow, has it been two years since I moved here? It's gone so incredibly fast. But the other thing I thought was, you know, over the course of my life, I have made so many bad decisions whether it was signing the wrong contract or getting involved with the wrong people. It just seems like I've ended up regretting so many things. And two years ago, when I decided to move here to Colorado to be with my girlfriend, Alex, I wasn't totally sure how it was going to go. But I felt really good about her and I felt good about the move, so I just did it. And I got to tell you, two years later, I think it was the best decision I've ever made. I knew at the time I was basically starting my life over and uh, the change is just what I needed. I got away from all the memories, the pain, the drama, and I started having new experiences and making new memories with someone who had had a similar past to me. And Alex and I have healed together, we've grown together, and I can honestly say I'm just very happy and content now. And I don't know that I've ever been content. And I suppose in a way I'll never be content when it comes to music or my art. I'll always want to get better at those things and I think that's a good thing. But just in general, getting up in the morning and being happy. I haven't felt this way in a long time, uh, if that makes any sense. No, not really. I remember back on my first marriage, uh, my ex and I had been together for 25 years. We'd had some good times, but also a lot of bad. And by that 25th year, I wasn't happy with anything. I was about to turn 50. I think I was having a midlife crisis. My music career was in the crapper, and I just felt like I'd lost my whole identity. And one day, I specifically remember we were standing in the kitchen, and she said, what is it you want? And I'm pretty sure what she wanted me to say was, well, I want you, of course. But instead, what I said was, uh, you know, I just want my music career back. It's all I'd done for about the last 20 years, and I just thought if I could just get that back, I'd be happy. Well, not too long after that, uh, my first wife and I decided to get a divorce. Eventually, I got remarried, and I got my career back. Galactic Cowboys got signed to a new label and we made another album. But guess what? I was still miserable. 
and after my second divorce, I was just ready to end it all. But after a lot of time of thinking and reevaluating my life, I came to this conclusion. Instead of wishing for things that I don't have and being disappointed when I don't get them, maybe I should just enjoy the things that I do have. And that's the way I try to live now. I try to appreciate the simple things. I don't need to be a rock star to feel good about myself. I don't need a big house. I don't need fame. I can be happy just taking a walk on a beautiful day or watching a ball game with my girlfriend. Those are the things I look forward to now and I'm good with that. Now if I'm able to make another album someday or play shows, I'd be good with that too. But those things just don't drive me like they used to. Now why did I tell you all that stuff? I have no idea. But it's what I'm going to call the intro to episode 259. Alright, on today's show, I'm going to be all over the place talking about uh, some things I've been thinking about, some things I've been watching on TV, I'm going to talk about some bands that I don't believe I've ever talked about before, and hopefully some of that will interest you. If not, well, I'm sure Eddie Trunk is somewhere right now ranting about backing tracks or doing an interview with Ace Freely. So there's always options. Are you shitting me? First up, I got a lot of feedback on the last episode where I reviewed the new Metallica album. And I would say about 99% of you agreed with me that you were kind of disappointed. I only had a couple of people tell me that they actually liked it. One of them being Rick Wood, who said, uh, I like the new Metallica. It's not like the classic 80s era but it's just as good as Death Magnetic. Well, that may be true, Rick, uh, but I didn't like Death Magnetic either. I actually bought that CD when it came out, and I think I listened to it twice, and I don't think I've listened to it since. And once again, it's not that I think this new one totally sucks. I like four or maybe five songs on there. But when I don't even like half of the songs on an album, I can't really recommend it. But hey, if you like it, uh, rock on to each his own. I also got a message from my buddy Jeff Moore, and he told me that he got tickets to see Aerosmith on their farewell tour. And I told him, yeah, we're planning to go to that too. I've actually never seen Aerosmith in person, and so I pretty much have to. And then Jeff had this to say. He said, Aerosmith is labeling themselves as the greatest American rock band. Do you agree with that? And I said, wow, you know, I would have to think about that. Uh, Right off the top of my head, I would say they're probably in the top three. And he said, well, I was talking to a friend of mine, and that guy suggested that it was the Eagles. Hell no. Yeah, you know, they had a lot of hits, and I don't doubt that they were great and all that, but I always looked at them as kind of a pop country thing. And Jeff said, yeah, I agree. And then he said, I had another friend say it was the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Hell no! And what I say to that is you can't be considered the greatest band of any genre if your singer is completely awful. Now, I liked the Chili Peppers early on when uh, Anthony Kiedis was just rapping. 
I thought they were a great funk band, Flea was a great bass player, but when Anthony started singing and they got real popular, I just said no. But who would I say is the greatest American rock band? Well, I'll narrow it down to five. And I'm not going to have Metallica in there because I consider them metal. And I'm not going to have the Ramones because I consider them punk. But in no particular order, I will say Aerosmith is in there. I'm also going to say ZZ Top. I'm also going to put Boston in there. I would also put Van Halen. And at five, uh, I'm going to have to put it as a tie between Cheap Trick and Kiss. And yes, I'm going to say Kiss because you can't influence almost every kid who ever wanted to be in a rock band and not be considered great. I also got a message from Dan Singleton who said, Hi, Monty. I was just listening to Alice in Chains again and was thinking how Galactic Cowboys could totally kill this in a cover. So besides the song on the Feel the Rage EP, have Galactic Cowboys done any other covers? What about Crunchy? If not, what songs do you think GC or Crunchy would do the best covering? Well, thanks for the question, Dan. You know, we did do one other cover tune that I can remember. It was by a band called Petra. They were a Christian rock band, and I think they're still around. And they're very well known in the Christian market, and their label at the time was going to put out a tribute album for Petra. And someone from their label asked us if we would do a song for it. And they offered us enough money to cover our recording expenses, and we were also going to have enough left over to pay our rent that month. And so we agreed, and I said, well, one other thing I need is all of their albums because I don't have any of their music. And so their label sent us a bunch of their CDs, and I went through them and picked out one song. And I said, I think we can do this one, and uh, it was called Not of This World. And I haven't heard this in a long time, but in case you haven't heard it, here's a little bit. like when we did the cover of the Kiss song, uh, we took certain uh, artistic liberties and we added some riffs and kind of made it uh, quite a bit heavier in places, but we still tried to keep to the original melody and of course had to show off some of the uh, Galactic Cowboy vocals. We are 
So that's the only other cover tune that I can remember that we covered in Galactic Cowboys. But if we were going to do another one, I was thinking the other day, I was listening to Sweet, and God, what a great band. Alex and I went to an avalanche hockey game one night, and during a timeout, they started playing Fox on the Run, and I was just sitting there jamming. I was like, holy crap, this song rocks. So I think it'd be cool to cover something by Sweet. Outside of that, I don't know, I'd have to think about it. Uh, Maybe we should do a Nirvana song, since they kind of ruined our career. I am completely unaware of this. But speaking of Nirvana, I watched a documentary the other night on HBO about Kurt Cobain. And I'll tell you why. It's because after all these years, I don't really get it. I mean, I understand in most people's opinions, he was a really good songwriter. And I will openly admit that Teen Spirit is just a classic. Probably one of the most iconic, recognizable, uh, greatest rock songs ever written. And yes, if you're like me, the first time you ever heard it, you said, oh, isn't that the riff from Wild Thing or More Than a Feeling? Yeah, I think we all did. But after we heard the whole song, we sat back and went, wow, that's really good. That's really powerful. And of course, I'll personally never forget the first time I heard that song because it was at the Galactic Cowboy record release party. And we were all in this hotel suite with all the people from Geffen. And the guy that signed us, Gary Gersh, walked in and uh, he had a cassette tape and he stuck it in this jam box. And he said, "Uh, here's a new band I just signed. And I thought, wow, that's really good. But that's about all I thought. Because, you know, uh, Geffen had told us that uh, we were going to be the next big thing. Of course, we'd been waiting around about a year to release our album. And in that time, Geffen was talking to us about what we were going to do and, uh, you know, what was going to be the first single, stuff like that. And they wanted to put out My School as the first single. And I didn't really want it to be that song because My School was kind of a ballad. And I didn't want the first thing that anyone heard of us to be a ballad. I wanted to come out rocking. And we did eventually talk him into going with I'm Not Amused. But for a while there, My School was going to be the first song they released. And we were supposed to do a video for that song. And I remember one night we had a meeting at our manager's house and we all started throwing out ideas for a video. And since the song was called My School, somebody came up with the idea, let's have us playing at a prom. And the set can be in a school gymnasium. And there will be a bunch of high school kids in formal dresses and tuxedos. And they're out there trying to dance. And then all of a sudden we hit the middle of that song and we just start thrashing out. And so we were talking about this video concept and we were like, yeah, a video of us playing at a prom with a bunch of high school kids in a gymnasium, that would be radical. But our manager at the time, Sam Taylor, I remember him sitting there and uh, he just looks at us and goes, no, that would be dumb. And I recall that we got into some kind of argument and we finally just left and went, screw it. Well, like I said, we ended up picking a different song as the single, and uh, we did a video, spent $100,000 on it. 
We shot it out in the middle of the desert in Tucson, Arizona. Had a bunch of horses running around behind us. We sent it to MTV. They played it some, but it never did that much. But one day I turn on my TV and there's the new video from Nirvana, Smells Like Teen Spirit. And they're playing in a high school gym. And the band is going crazy. The kids in the video are going crazy. They've even got a janitor rocking out. And the rest is history. It just seemed like overnight they were everywhere. They were on MTV all the time. They were playing award shows. They played Saturday Night Live and it was like Beatlemania. And back then, I just didn't get it. I mean, I thought, okay, I get that kids relate to Cobain a little bit. He's kind of an outcast. He looks like he's kind of miserable and maybe people can relate to that. And yeah, they're a good band with good songs, but the replacements were good with great songs. Why is everybody going so crazy over Cobain and Nirvana? So the other day I sit down and I start watching this uh, documentary. And at first I thought, wow, you know, he started out as kind of a normal little kid. He seemed like he was kind and he cared about others. But then his family split apart and he became an outcast. And then he turns into a rebellious youth. But eventually he gets into a band. And like all movies about rock stars, he ends up on heroin. Now, a lot of this documentary kind of made you feel sick, uh, depressed. It was very disturbing. And that was just the stuff about Courtney Love. But it definitely took me back to that time period. And I kind of had to relive all that in my mind. And I'm not sure Cobain wanted all that success, but I know for sure that he couldn't handle it. And once again, I thought, you know, he got everything that I wanted. I wanted our band to be huge. I wanted everyone to love us. I wanted to sell millions of albums. But I didn't get that, and he did. And then he killed himself. And it made me think, if it would have been Galactic Cowboys instead of Nirvana, how would I have handled it? Well, I'll never know, but I do know fame can change people. In Cobain's case, I think he kept doing what he was doing before they got huge, which was heroin. And I think he thought that was his only way of maybe dealing with all the pressure, with all the fame, but instead it just killed him. And for me, I honestly don't think I would have ever done drugs. I think I would have been more like Ted Nugent or Gene Simmons. But would the fame have driven me to go insane some other way? I don't know. I feel like if we had sold millions of albums and I would have become really rich and famous and yet I was still miserable, I think I would have just retired. But maybe I'm just being naive. But after watching the whole documentary on Kurt Cobain, I can safely say that I still don't get it. Why Nirvana? Why not the Wild Hearts? Uh, Better band, better songs. But I think I do understand more about Cobain. I think there was a certain amount of genius inside of him. But man, did that guy have some issues. He not only didn't like fame, uh, he didn't like life, and I don't think he liked himself. Thank you for sharing. I had no idea. Another documentary that I watched recently was on the singer John Waite. 
And I used to be a big fan of his back in the 80s. I loved the babies and I liked a lot of his solo stuff. But did this documentary change my opinion of him? And well, yes it did in a strange way because I kind of always assumed he was an arrogant asshole just like most rock stars. But after seeing this, I had to say, you know, he seems like a really likable guy. Even though he had some huge success with a couple of singles, he didn't let success destroy him. I kept waiting for that part that's in every single documentary where they go, and then he got on heroin. But it never came. I don't know if he covered that up or if it actually never happened. And he's 70 years old now, but he keeps touring and he keeps cranking out the solo albums. And he didn't really act like he even cared if anybody bought him or not. He just does it because that's what he does and he loves it. And so good for John Waite. I used to be in a cover band and we covered Missing You. And I saw him live a couple of times back in the 80s and he was always really good. But when I really liked him is when he was with the babies. What a good band, what a great voice. Okay, that was something from the 80s by the babies. And speaking of the 80s, uh, I discovered a new show on YouTube. It's called Todd in the Shadows. It's this guy, he sits at a piano and you can't really tell what he looks like, but he reviews albums that sucked, like he did one on Saint Anger, and he did another one on Generation Swine by Motley Crue, and those were really good. But he also goes through each year and tells you what the worst songs of that particular year were. And it's really good, it's really funny, and you should check it out. But I watched one recently where he went through the worst songs of 1987. And there was stuff on there by Bruce Willis and Lisa Lisa and Cult Jam. You had stuff like We Built This City by Jefferson Starship. And of course, Lionel Richie was dancing on the ceiling and making all kinds of horrible music. And if that wasn't bad enough, he was also getting all kinds of awards for making that music. And once again, while I'm watching this show, it just took me back to that time period. I'd only been married about a year and my ex-wife and I were living in this little bitty town in Missouri and I was working at a sporting goods store. And I finally left that job to go to work for my dad at his upholstery shop because he told me he would give me a raise to 10 bucks an hour. And I was pretty much going nowhere in life when one night I got a phone call from a friend in Houston, Texas. And he told me that there was this Christian recording artist named Morgan Cryer who was looking for a bass player. And I didn't even own a bass at the time, so I went and bought one. It was an old, used Rickenbacker. And a day or so later, I get a call from this Morgan Cryer guy who I had never heard of. But it turned out he had a couple albums out on a label called Starsong. 
And he asked me if I'd be interested in trying out, and I said, absolutely. So the label sends me a plane ticket, and I fly down to Houston. And we practiced for a few days, and the guys in the band really didn't seem to like me that much, and Morgan really didn't seem that crazy about me either. But the weird thing is, is that Morgan had a concert scheduled for that week, and he needed a band to play it, so he was kind of stuck with me. And after just a couple of days of rehearsals, we go jump in a van and drive to this gig. And I was really nervous because I hadn't played since my cover band days. And it was in this high school auditorium and it was a pretty good crowd. And we get on stage and I think, you know, what have I got to lose? I'm just going to rock. And so I just start doing my thing, which is uh, get up on the drum riser and jump off of it like you're Pete Townsend. And as I'm doing this, I notice the other guys in the band are looking at me like, what the hell? Who's this guy? And when we come off the stage, uh, they're just like, yeah, we got to get this guy in the band. So I end up getting the job and my ex and I moved down to Houston. And all of a sudden, I thought I was living the life. Morgan was paying me $700 a month. But that made me a professional musician. And for the rest of the year, we traveled around in a van and played contemporary Christian concerts. And the music was just really cheesy pop stuff. And Morgan just hated my bass sound because it sounded like a piano being crushed with a sledgehammer. But I didn't care because everywhere we went, uh, people told me, wow, great bass tone. And besides, that wasn't the only thing that Morgan didn't like. He also didn't like the way the band looked. When we started out, we had the crazy 80s haircuts and the ripped up jeans. So the record label took us to the mall for haircuts and a new wardrobe. We were quickly transformed into a wholesome bunch who looked more appropriate for the backup band of the Christian Huey Lewis. Meanwhile, I'd be in the back of the van listening to Anthrax, Megadeth, and Metallica on my Sony Walkman. And then I'd get out and play concerts for people who thought that secular music was of the devil. And I'll have to admit, I had kind of a good time playing some of those shows, even though a lot of the big Christian acts that we were playing with kind of came off a little bit arrogant and douchey. Oh, it was supposed to all be about ministry and saving souls. But backstage, a lot of these guys acted like they were too good to even talk to you. But I thought, hey, maybe I can play on one of Morgan's albums, or maybe I can write some songs for him. But no, uh, Morgan informed me that he'd be using studio musicians instead of me. And he also told me, and I quote, uh, you don't write anything memorable. And shortly after that, Morgan told the whole band he would be letting us all go in favor of using backing tracks. This is unbelievable! Yeah, I don't know if it's still this way, but back then, uh, apparently people were willing to pay to go see some guy stand there by himself and sing to a backing track. I told Morgan that uh, I personally wouldn't walk across the street to see something like that, but, you know, do what you gotta do. And that was it. After a year of being in contemporary Christian music, I was now unemployed. And I was left with a really bad taste in my mouth for all of it. And I think it was a combination of everything I'd been through for the past year. 
and the horrible state of music on MTV that just made me go, you know what? I'm going to grow my hair down to my elbows and I'm going to play some thrash metal. And so that's what I think of when I think of 1987. That's a hell of a story. Somebody else I've never talked much about on this show is Elton John. And Hulu recently had one of his last farewell shows. And I've never been a huge Elton John fan. In other words, I've never owned one of his albums. But I've always liked his stuff since the 70s. And I know a lot of people really love him. I heard uh, Zach Wilde one day talking about what a big fan he is. But I gotta imagine that almost everyone on the planet at one point or another has uh, liked something that he's done. And this concert was really good. He had a bunch of older guys playing with him and Elton still sounded great. And he's kind of like Tom Petty was while he was still alive where he could play for two hours and every song be a hit. And at the end of the show, you're still gonna say, oh wow, he didn't play this one or this one. And of course, that was the case with me because two of my favorite Elton John songs are Daniel and Blue Eyes. But if you like Elton at all, be sure to check that out. It was at Dodger Stadium and it was really good. I'll advise people before watching it. It is indeed very gay. Okay, I've got a question for you guys. Have you ever seen a trailer or previews for a movie and immediately said, I don't ever want to see that movie ever? Well, I do that quite often, and uh, here's a couple of movies that I'm pretty sure I will never see unless I'm forced to somehow. And the first one is 80 for Brady. When I saw that Jane Fonda, Lily Tomlin, and I think it's Sally Field had made a movie, I instantly said, who would go see this? And from what I understand, it is indeed god-awful. And it's just another example of how Hollywood has run out of ideas and completely sucks. And if your wife or your 80-year-old grandmother somehow talked you into going to this, I'm sorry. I don't want to see that. Another movie I know I'll never see is a new one from J-Lo called The Mother. And just let me say, first of all, I really don't like J-Lo. I don't hate her as much as I do, say, uh, Beyonce, but there is something about her that just really, really annoys me. And it's bad enough when she does the horrible romantic comedies, but when I see that she's going to be riding a motorcycle and beating the crap out of guys and waving around a knife and shooting rifles, uh, I've just got to say, no way. I'm not buying it. Not from J-Lo. Anyway, let's move on to something else. Uh, how about some bands I've never talked about? Like, how about Supertramp? Back in the 70s, I remember hearing them on the radio all the time. And they were one of those bands that I never knew what they looked like. It was before MTV or YouTube, and there were a lot of bands like that. For example, Steely Dan. I knew they were great, never knew what they looked like for a long time. But strangely enough, I still don't know what Supertramp looks like. And to this day, I don't own any of their albums. But if I hear it on the radio, I know exactly who it is. And for some reason, I still can't figure out if I like them or I hate them.
there's another band that I've never talked about on this show, and the reason is, is because I just recently discovered them. One day while being tortured by the endless commercials on YouTube, this video popped up from a band called Jelusic, J-E-L-U-S-I-C-K. And so I started watching it and I'm listening and at first I thought uh, they kind of sound like Dio. But the more I listened, I thought, no, this is more like Whitesnake. They kind of had this 80s sound, but uh, they didn't look like old men. They look like younger guys, they dress cool, they moved cool, and the song was just really good. It was called Fly High Again, and I thought, you know, I think some of my listeners might dig this. And so check it out, here's a little Jalusic. So it turns out the singer for this band is named Dino Jalusic, and honestly I'd never heard of him, but apparently he's been in Trans-Siberian Orchestra, and the guy's just got an amazing voice and he's an incredible musician.
So that's Jalusic with Fly High Again, and I really like that song a lot. And if you want to hear more of him and his band, go check it out. And uh, he's got a lot of videos on YouTube. And there's even one of him doing a cover song by Jefferson Starship, uh, Remember Jane. Well, he sings his ass off on it, and he's also got Mike Portnoy on drums. And they're all in separate places because it was obviously done during COVID. And when I see something like that, my mind immediately goes back to that time when, uh, you know, we were all living in hell. And I know it's been two or three years since that all went down. But when I think about everything that our government and China and uh, Hollywood put us through, it still pisses me off. Because at the time, we were being told that it was all about saving lives. But I think most of us realize now that it was just about control. And I'm sure there's some people who meant well at the time and they just went along with it all. But I also know for a fact now there were people in the liberal media and Fauci who were just downright evil. And the longer it went on, the more and more ballsy it got. At first, Fauci was just saying stuff like, we suggest you stay at home and wear your mask. But by the end, that little piece of shit was saying stuff like, just do what you told. And then you had lunatics like Howard Stern saying, you know, if you don't want to get vaccinated, you should just die. And remember Arnold Schwarzenegger making that video? And he was saying stuff like, everyone has to go get vaccinated. Not just the people in California, I mean everybody. And you may say, well, what about my freedom? Well, screw your freedom. If you don't get vaccinated and cover your face immediately, you don't deserve freedom. And now when I remember them saying stuff like that, it just gives me chills. And I hope nothing like that happens again, but in the meantime, I am just thankful for my freedom again. It's great to be able to see people's faces, uh, to be able to go out to eat or go to a concert without wearing one of those stupid masks. So if you're ever having a bad day, just think back a couple of years. And remember all the bullshit we had to go through. And when you think about it now compared to then, uh, maybe things aren't so bad. It's all horrible. All right, let's do a couple of questions. I got a message from Aaron Gorham on Facebook. And Aaron says, hey, Monty, how's it going? Ah, well, thanks for asking, Aaron. Uh, you know, I'm still trying to make a living doing my art. And I've been doing these rock star paintings for the last two or three years. And I literally work on them like eight to ten hours a day. And you know, whatever you do, whether it's playing guitar or basketball or uh, painting, uh, if you do something eight to ten hours a day, you're bound to get better eventually. And I've seen that happen with my art. I look back at some of my older stuff and I think it was good, but I have come a long way. And I have just been churning out the stuff the last couple of years and I've built up a pretty big inventory. And the other day, I just turned into Crazy Monty. And I went through my website, monicalvinart.com, and I just started chopping prices. 
and I knocked off everywhere from 50 to 100 to 150 bucks off of paintings that were already priced too low. Stop, that's crazy. So if you get a chance, go on there and check that stuff out. Because I'm telling you, one of these days I'm gonna get discovered and then you're not gonna be able to afford them at all. But I'm always putting new stuff up there. I got some new ones of Charlie Benante, uh, Mike Portnoy. I did one of Alex Van Halen, and I just got done with a Nikki Six. That sounds crazy! Also, there's something I wanted to tell you about that's music and art related at the same time. And it's that there's this guy in North Carolina named Greg Taylor. And he owns his own store, and it's called Bass Pluckers. And it's completely dedicated to bass guitars. And one day I get this order from him for 10 prints, and I notice that they're all bass players. And at first I thought, oh, this guy just must really love bass players, but then I found out, no, he's buying them to put up in his store. And so I wanted to give a shout out to Greg and tell him thank you so much. You're helping to keep me alive, and I really appreciate it. And if you're ever in Wilmington, North Carolina, go by and see Bass Pluckers. And here's something else while I'm on the subject. If you own a music store or a record store or you've got a club or uh, you've got a studio, think about getting some of my paintings or prints for your decor. Or if you know anybody that has a restaurant or any of the above, tell them about my art. I would appreciate it. Or just let me know how I could get a hold of them. This guy's crazy! Alright, bear with me now as I talk about sports for just a couple of minutes. If you don't care about sports, I get it, but uh, it's a huge part of my life. And a couple of days ago, something huge happened. When I moved to Colorado, I adopted the Rockies, the Avalanche, and the Nuggets as my own. And I've become a big fan of all three of them. I still don't like the Broncos, but that's another story. Anyway, last year, Alex and I went to a Nuggets game. And we're sitting there, and I said, you know, the Nuggets are really good, but next year, they're going to get a couple of guys back who have been injured, and then look out. And sure enough, this season, they were really good, and I watched all 82 regular season games. And they had the best record in the Western Conference, and yet all season when I would watch ESPN or Fox Sports, they would never mention the Nuggets. Or if they did mention them, it was only because they were saying that Nikola Jokic shouldn't be the MVP. Apparently he was too white. And so they were completely disrespected all year. And then we get in the playoffs and all the talk was about Phoenix and Kevin Durant. And the Nuggets knocked out the Suns in six games. And then we moved on to the Lakers, and it was LeBron, 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 LeBron. But then a funny thing happened. Despite the media openly rooting for the Lakers, and the referees calling fouls every time a Laker would fall down, the Nuggets won Game 1, and then Game 2, and then Game 3. And then suddenly the narrative started to change. And the so-called experts on ESPN started going, wow, this uh, Jokic guy's pretty good. But then they'd go right back to talking about LeBron. And if you know anything about me, you know I've hated LeBron for years. I think he's the most arrogant athlete in sports history. 
And before I became a Nuggets fan, I had all but stopped watching NBA basketball completely because of him. And so the other night, Game 4 in Los Angeles with all the sickening Hollywood celebrities on hand, it gave me such immeasurable pleasure to see the Nuggets sweep the Lakers and LeBron James. Oh, you cannot imagine my joy. It was like good conquering evil. And so no more LeBron for the rest of this year, and the Nuggets are on to the NBA Finals. And so to answer Aaron Gorham's question, how's it going, Monty? Well, sports-wise, it's going great. A year ago, the Avalanche won the Stanley Cup. This past season, my Chiefs won the Super Bowl. My favorite college basketball team, the Kansas Jayhawks, won the NCAA tournament a year ago. And now the Nuggets have a chance to win it all in the NBA. So after 50 years of being disappointed, no matter who I was rooting for, I am on some kind of roll. So we'll see what happens with the Nuggets, but I'm going to finish up now with some random thoughts. And the first one is that Fox News fired Tucker Carlson, and they are done with him. And to that, my thought is, okay, well then I am done with Fox News. Outside of maybe Gutfeld or Mark Levin, uh, I have no reason to watch that network anymore. Because it sucks, that's why. Random thought number two. Every time Alex and I take a walk, we see this guy sleeping underneath a tarp on a park bench. The other day we walked by, and it's about 11 o'clock in the morning, and we see that he's up and around and he's rolling up the tarp. And of course, whenever you see homeless people like that, your first inclination is to say, wow, I really feel sorry for them. But my second thought is, you know, if you're sleeping till 11 o'clock on a park bench, you're not exactly a motivated person. Maybe you should try getting up a little earlier, go look for a job, or go find some help. I know that might sound heartless, but you know, it's just a thought. It's kind of like when I see people on street corners holding up a sign that says, uh, I need money. And I always think, well, if you can do that, couldn't you hold a sign that says, eat at Domino's? But my suspicion is, is that just holding the sign that says, I need money, probably pays better. And that's why they keep doing it. But hey, I'm an old guy who is old school, and a lot of things just bother me. For instance, one day Alex and I were in this department store and she wants to look at makeup. And we walk over by the lipstick and there's this dude dressed up like a woman. Okay. And so we walk to the next aisle and there's a brother and sister. And they look to be about 16, 17 and they're talking about what makeup would look good on him. And you know, I just had to think, what has happened to masculinity? Is it because kids are raised by their moms now? Or is being masculine just not cool anymore? Maybe it's that the media has just pushed this narrative that masculinity is toxic, that now when you think of a real man, uh, that's thought of as being a bad thing. I don't know, but this season when I watched this reality show Survivor, almost every male in the cast was either gay or effeminate. And I know we're supposed to love everyone, and I don't hate any of these guys. You know, unless they're obnoxious assholes. 
But at the same time, I do realize there is an agenda for this kind of thing, and uh, it's intentional. And so I was not surprised at all when the gay Hispanic hairdresser guy won the million dollars. Shocking! Okay, does anybody remember that show that used to be on VH1 called That Metal Show? Of course you do. It had Eddie Trunk, uh, Jim Florentine, and Don Jameson. And it was a notch above a Wayne's World type show, but uh, I still watched it. Well, it hasn't been on for a long time, but they are back now with an even lower budget on YouTube. And I've watched the first couple of episodes and they're just sitting there on Skype or Zoom or something like that. And they just sit there and talk about rock stuff and uh, interview rock stars. And I was hoping it was going to be good, but uh, here's my problem with it. For a show that has two comedians on it, it's not really funny. And for a host like Eddie Trunk, who supposedly knows all things metal, it's not really that interesting. But check it out if you want. It's called That Rocks. Maybe it'll get better. I wouldn't hold my breath for that. Another show that I would highly suggest is Chris Aiken Presents. Of course, Chris is on the classic metal show, and I love that show too. And recently he did an interview with David Thibodeau, who was a survivor of the Waco Branch Davidian Massacre. And it was a great interview. I've been really interested in that Waco thing ever since it happened. I've seen a bunch of documentaries on it. And they talked about a lot of stuff that went on inside the compound uh, when it happened that you may not know about. So anyway, check that out. It's called uh, Chris Aiken Presents. I've, I've watched that with my own eyes. And my final random thought of the day is that I really love the band Flyleaf. They put out three great albums, and then their lead singer, Lacey Sturm, left about ten years ago. And they tried to go on with a new singer, but I personally didn't think it worked at all. But my friend Matt in St. Louis told me recently that Lacey was back. And so I went on YouTube and checked it out, and yes, uh, they're playing some live shows, and it's just great to see again. And hopefully they'll do a new album. And they're kind of considered in the Christian rock genre, but they're really one of the few Christian bands that really reach me. Like, when I listen to Striper, I think they're a good band, but their music doesn't really touch me. But with Flyleaf, some of their songs have actually brought me to tears. There's just some kind of spiritual vibe or something there that I really connect with. And so I'm going to take you out with an older song by Flyleaf. And hopefully we'll get some new stuff from them eventually. But that's going to do it for me for now. Thanks for hanging out with me, but I'll be back soon with more fun and mayhem. And until then, this has been Monty saying take care. Don't let anyone tell you what to like unless it's me. And rock! On. I'm sorry. I don't remember. It's true that I dream myself down. I'm not ashamed of that non December. Your hands coming to the night. Close my eyes and face my face.
That, that, that's about it.